fighting for freedom every day. Republicans right now, the conservatives, which unfortunately, this is what we have to do every time, even after a vote where people are sick and tired of the establishment, they're sick and tired of the squeezy, middle-of-the-road, squishy kind of Republican rhinos, and we vote conservatives in, then we have to fight tooth and nail in D.C. to actually be heard within the Republican Party. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Yes, indeed it is. What's up? Welcome into it. It is a Monday, greatest day of the entire week. Back at it after a couple days vacation last week, so thank you for allowing me the time off to recoup, recalibrate a little bit. We did have our syndicated program over the weekend, but it was a nice, relaxing weekend for the most part. It was a time to recoup. It was fantastic and awesome and looking forward to getting back in the seat, man. I've been itching. There's so much going on. Talk about hitting the ground running again when we come back. This is a week that will be down in the history books. We have the potential government shutdown and budget discussions we'll talk about in just a minute. We have a new debate, round number two for the Republican side. We have another debate that may be lingering here soon as well, which we'll get into, and uh, so much more to get to. I will say, though, I if I see another meme, if I see another one, I'm going to lose my mind, man. I don't care. It makes no difference to me whatsoever. Even football fans, I don't understand why anybody cares why Taylor Swift was at the Kansas City Chiefs football game yesterday on Sunday. I, I don't know why. I don't know why people care. I guess... And I, I'm trying to think on and speculating why this is such a big deal. I'm guessing that it's probably because the NFL sees this as an opportunity to win over a new crowd of people. But I don't know how a bunch of tweensy girls are going to benefit the NFL. And they're not going to stick around and watch an entire NFL game just because they know that Taylor Swift is in the press box watching uh, from one of the suites. So I don't understand the fascination, man. There are some weird dr- zombies that just blatantly follow Taylor Swift just because she's Taylor Swift and now apparently uh, I mean they're all over the local media and obviously living in Kansas this is where I mean this is the heart of Kansas City Chiefs fans they're all over oh my gosh Taylor Swift Taylor Swift she was at the game she's dating Travis Kelsey which really shows the lack of I guess I don't know what that relationship's going to look like. I don't really care. None of my business. Why? Because we're not into drama. I didn't go to the grocery store and buy the magazine, the the tabloid that was right near the checkout line to see who's dating who. Why? Because we don't care anymore. What was that? Tell me one more time, please. We don't care anymore. All right. Well, I didn't quite get you another time. We don't care anymore. One more time. I didn't quite get that. Good golly. Welcome into the show. we got a lot to talk about today. Lance Zumai will be with us. He's one of our favorite guests on the show, the Pacific Research Institute. We'll chat with him on the lack of trust in local school boards across the nation. We talk about public school quite a bit and the teachers unions and the Department of Education. And with the Agenda 47 that Donald Trump has, if he becomes president again, would he remove the Department of Education? And what would that mean for statewide departments of education and local school boards trickling all the way down to that local level? So we have a lot to talk about with him about the, at the bottom of the hour. Outside of that, as I mentioned, this is a big week. We have a federal budget that is coming up at the end of the week on Saturday, to be exact. And Congress is not anywhere closer to actually passing a budget. In fact, they're not even looking at a federal budget right now. What they're looking at is a continuing resolution. And they can't even agree upon that on what the levels need to be for a continuing resolution to extend budgets anywhere from a month out to the next three months or four months out to the end of the uh, the year in December. And they can't agree on how much and how long, and it's kind of ridiculous. 
And I will give the praise to the conservatives out there, the few minority group of conservatives that are saying that they're willing to let the government shut down, not because they want to see the government shut down, but because they're sick and tired of doing the same thing every single year. We knew it was coming up. We started talking about this with some elected uh, members of Congress back in May and in June, even during the debt ceiling debate on what we can limp through with spending until the end of this year and make sure that we're going to be in a situation to pass the appropriations bills by the time that the budget ends at the end of September. Well, Democrats, they wait until the very last minute. They try to cram everything in there, knowing that Republicans won't be going along for the ride with it as well, and then saying, well, we don't know what to do. I don't know why you guys just aren't getting on board. We don't have enough time. And they try to play the victim. In fact, Democrats now are saying, wait a second, we can't even pass a continuing resolution. We're probably going to have a government shutdown. We don't know what to do at this point. We just don't know. We are just flabbergasted of the fact that Republicans won't get on board and just pass whatever we say with the continuing resolution. Because the question is, how long will Republicans actually hold out? Because we always pretend we're going to hold out, and then we cave at the last minute. And it happens every time with Kevin McCarthy and with even prior to Kevin McCarthy, Republicans talk tough. But then when it comes down to it, then they get scared and they get scared of their own shadow. I don't care that the government shuts down. The Democrats are like, we're just trying to keep the lights on. Well, guess what? You can work in the dark. Why? Because there are a lot of Americans working in the dark right now because they can't afford their utility bills since you jacked up utility rates on them. So, oh, how about that there, Democrats? Oh, not that this is really a politi- uh, partisan thing because both sides of the aisle are guilty of this one. But let's be honest. We have progressives that just want to cap out spending as much as possible. And then when Republicans say no, the Democrats say, well, fine, you're shutting down the government. It's your fault until you get on board with us. We don't know what to do. We have no clue how to move forward unless we get everything we want. We need to act like the parents in the situation. And by parents, I mean the conservatives, not the Republican Party, but the conservatives that are willing to say, okay, uh, yeah, we're just going to shut it down even longer. Remember when you were a parent, or maybe you still are right now, and your kids were acting out, and you're like, all right, you're going to get a day detention, or you're going to get a day grounded. And then they start throwing a bigger temper tantrum, and you're like, all right, a week being grounded. And then they throw a bigger temper tantrum, all right, two weeks being grounded. This is the way we need to act. Fine. we Put the foot down, man. Draw the line in the sand. We're already over 120% of our GDP is debt, not a single penny more in spending, period, end of story. I don't care how much you approved for the debt ceiling. Period. End of story. Not a penny more. And any Republican that votes for a bill that has a penny more in spending needs to be booted out of office. I really don't care who they are. Not a penny more. Turn it around and turn it around right now. That's not drastic. That's common sense. We can't afford it. Period. End of story. I don't want to focus too much time on the show today with that because I want to do kind of some hit and runs with a few different topics. But uh, we'll have plenty of time this week to talk about it as we get closer to the deadline at the end of this week. But that's where we're at. We have a few Republicans willing and just enough where they can't even pass a continuing resolution. They're trying to work with apparently Democrats and moderate Republicans is the plan for Kevin McCarthy. He's walking away from the Freedom Caucus, looking at Democrats, looking at moderate Republicans and trying to find a middle ground with them in order to find the majority that they need in order to pass a continuing resolution, not to solve the budget issue, just to give them more time to add more things into it so that way they can continue to berate on the Democrat or the conservatives and attack them for being the hardliners, the way the media is counting them as the hardliners, unwilling to negotiate and unwilling to compromise. While the other side says, we just don't know what to possibly do unless we get all of our spending and it's all your fault. The elitism 
at its best, my friends. Outside of that, there's an interesting debate, and I'm not talking about the Republican debate that's coming up in a couple of days, which we'll have plenty of time to focus on here, but there's an interesting debate that may happen soon as well. What's trending today? As apparently, Ron DeSantis and Gavin Newsom have agreed to go on Sean Hannity and do a one-on-one policy debate with Ron DeSantis being the latest to accept the agreement. Absolutely. I'm game. Let's get it done. Just tell me when and where. We'll do it. And here's the thing, Sean. I mean, in, in one respect, the, um, the debate between California and Florida, you know, has already been had, as you suggest. People have been voting on that. They've been voting on it with their feet. They have fled California in record numbers. Florida has been the number one state for net in-migration. We have the number one ranked economy, number one now in education, crime rate at a 50-year low. But in another sense, this is the debate for the future of our country because you have people like Joe Biden. They would love to see the Californication of the United States. Biden may not even be the nominee. You could have Gavin Newsom. You could have Kamala Harris. And I think if we go down that direction, that's going to accelerate American decline. We can't see America decline anymore. We need to reverse American decline. All right, that audio from Fox News, which, by the way, can I ask the question, when did Sean Hannity start having an in-studio audience? I did not realize. I had seen it like once or twice before. I did not realize that that was a consistent thing. I thought that was like a special he was doing. But apparently now he has an in-studio audience to like applaud him on as he does his regular TV show. Kind of weird. I mean, I guess it's cool. It brings in some more interaction. I wish that they would bring that back into like TV shows where instead of having a stupid laughing track, you can actually hear legitimate comedy and laughing and clapping in the background from real people when it's actually funny. So that's cool. Just kind of weird on a TV show like Sean Hannity. Nonetheless, though, uh, I don't know what the purpose would be of having a Gavin Newsom, Ron DeSantis debate with Sean Hannity. This this wouldn't help Republicans. It wouldn't help Ron DeSantis at all. He's not going up against Gavin Newsom in a presidential debate right now. He's going up against Donald Trump. He's going against Republicans, and we want to focus on Republicans uh, for the primary race. And while Ron DeSantis, I guess, is starting to slip in the polls, this is a way for him to boost his popularity again? I don't quite know. But I don't see the benefit for it. Gavin Newsom has everything to win and to gain from it. Gavin Newsom and Republicans have nothing. And I'm not saying Gavin Newsom would win, but he is the only one that's been willing to go on Sean Hannity's show in the first place and do a uh, do a discussion and interview with him. But then to debate Ron DeSantis, I don't understand the benefit. I would watch it. It would be interesting, but it kind of reminds me of like a uh, kind of a distraction in an entertainment piece that we would see from like the fight from Mark Zuckerberg and Elon Musk, which I'm still waiting to happen, but apparently it's not going to happen. But I would lump in this debate between Ron DeSantis and Gavin Newsom to be in that category of just pure entertainment and not a whole lot of substance. They would argue. They would bicker. Republicans obviously would overwhelmingly watch it being on Sean Hannity's program and supporting Ron DeSantis. Some Democrats would watch it, I guess, just to try and heckle and try and attack Sean Hannity for the way he asks certain questions. But outside of that, what do we have to gain from that? We could show how bad his policies are. We already know that. We already know Gavin Newsom has horrible track record in the state of California. We already know about his crime rate. We already know about his inflation. We already know about his homelessness. We already know about his drug problems out there. We already know these things. We don't have to relay them in a debate. 
the other side still wouldn't care because they are so delusional that they would find some way to blame Ron DeSantis or call him a racist or something else. I don't know what the benefit of something like that would be. Now, I will say that this would be, I guess, for our side at least, more publicly promoted than some of the other interesting debates if it were strictly on policy. And if you remember, which I didn't even know happened until after they were done, there were two or three debates on CNN between Ted Cruz and Bernie Sanders. And that was, for me, I was hoping that would have been the presidential debates back in 2016 because that would have been awesome to watch those two go at it. Well, they did go at it a couple years afterwards. And it was a CNN debate. They did one on economics and one on health care, I believe, because obviously that's Bernie Sanders thing. Socialized economy and socialized health care. And they squared off. Each debate was an hour long and they talked about those issues. If you haven't seen it, highly recommend you go on YouTube and watch them. I believe they're probably still there. And but they weren't publicly really promoted unless you watch CNN. So not a whole lot of people knew about them. Unless you knew the candidates and followed them and, and talked. And they were interesting. They were good debates. They talked policy, which was nice. And both of them held their own very well. And I think that, uh, again, it didn't really win anybody over. But it did at least relay policy for us to listen to both sides and understand where they're coming from. That's not what this debate's about. We're in political season here. That was after political season when we could focus truly on the policy. This is about showmanship. Between Ron DeSantis trying to regain popularity among Republicans and try and uh, bring down Trump a little bit, and Gavin Newsom, who's desperate to take over the presidential nomination for the Democrats when Biden falls and goes down his operation, Joe Biden trips down the stairs while trying to tie his shoe. So we wouldn't get a whole lot of substance from this, as entertaining as that would be. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Fighting for freedom every day. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. So I'm sensing a little bit of desperation from the Ron DeSantis team. As they continue to slowly dwindle in the polls, we have Donald Trump that's still dominating right now. Vivek Ramaswamy that's starting to climb in the polls. Nikki Haley doing well in the polls. Doing well, again, in a speculative way. Below, if you take Trump out of the equation, because he's still dominating over everyone. But if you take him out of the equation, Vivek and uh, Nikki Haley are kind of the ones that are teetering in that second position with Ron DeSantis slowly dwindling down right now. And I'm sensing that this challenge and this debate that he could have with Gavin Newsom on Sean Hannity is just a way for him to boost his popularity and boost his numbers a little bit. He's in that desperate state. So he's got two debates to really bring himself back. The return of Ron DeSantis. And could it be during the Republican debate later on this week? Or could it be during a debate and or during the debate with Gavin Newsom and Sean Hannity? If that is the case, because I don't know exactly what kind of policy we would get out of that. Yes, great. You can uh, you can show the world that conservative policies in your state are doing better than progressive policies in California. What a shocking world that is, right? We already know this. That's no secret. That's kind of a weird debate to have unless... You just want to show that you can beat up on the other side and that you can go against the enemy right now, which is the not people, not whatever, just the ideology of progressive liberalism in this nation, that you can beat up on them. And if you can do that, then cool. And I guess that would help you out a little bit. I just don't understand the fascination with wanting to go after Gavin Newsom. Gavin Newsom, though, relishing the fact that he's getting this attention because he loves to be hated on. He is the ultimate villain. And coming from California, coming from a place with Hollywood and all these writers, he does very well at playing the villain 
to Republicans. He loves being the villain from Republicans. He loves being the great savior for the Democrats and being the suave, cool-looking, sexy, new, hip thing for the Democrat Party. And he loves to be the villain for for Republicans. He loves to dig in. He is the troll of the Democrat side, trolling Republicans right now as an elected official. And he's doing it very well. And we're falling for it because we love to give him attention as we continue to attack him and mock him. And he just enjoys it. He relishes in that. He's already been on Sean Hannity, which, I mean, come on. AOC doesn't go on Sean Hannity. Joe Biden doesn't go on Sean Hannity. Uh, Chuck Schumer doesn't go on Sean Nobody else. No Democrat, progressive, left-wing Democrat goes on Sean Hannity unless you're there looking to try and troll the other side. How many conservatives, like true legitimate conservatives, Ted Cruz, Mike Lee, some of these guys, Rand Paul, how many of them go on CNN? How many of them go on PBS radio or uh, NPR radio or go on some of these progressive mainstream news outlets? They don't. How many of them go on The View? Donald Trump Jr. was the last conservative, I think, that went on The View, and it was just to troll them because he had a book out that was called Triggered, and he wanted to go on and trigger those individuals which lost their minds, and they fell for it. Why? Because now we're so segregated with our beliefs that there's no reason to pander to them. We can win some over. But you don't win them over by going on the places that openly try to mock you and attack you. And Gavin Newsom going on Sean Hannity was his way of trolling Republicans. Him agreeing to a debate with Ron DeSantis with Sean Hannity being the moderator is a way for him to troll and get his name back out there. And he's doing it so well and we're falling right in for it. Again, I would watch it. I think it would be interesting. But... It's not going to do anything. It's not going to change any minds. And it's only a way for Ron DeSantis to say, hey, I'm out here and I'm facing off against the progressive radicals. And could that be the future presidential debate of 2024? Potentially of a Ron DeSantis, Gavin Newsom debate. But right now, Republicans just throwing this out there. Our party right now, our family's kind of broken. We got to kind of fix things a little bit. Got to mend some bonds a little bit among ourselves. And uh, the prime example of that is what's happening in Congress right now and what's happening with so many Republicans that are out there despising Donald Trump and saying that uh, they would vote third party if Donald Trump were the candidate. Again, we have to start mending that stuff to where we're not in a very broken position in 2024. Just my two cents. You can agree or disagree. Totally cool. Uh, By the way, speaking of, we made it through another week of a potential doomsday prediction. That was supposed to happen on Saturday, September 23rd, when the end of the world was going to happen. Now the next date is October 4th. October 4th is the next one. So prepare yourself. This one, this one, my friend, this one could possibly happen October 4th, the end of the world. Get ready. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Reason meets radio. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Yes, indeed it is. Radio, TV, live streaming, podcasting, multiple radio stations all over the place. So wonderful to have you along for the ride today. Welcome aboard. Let's carpe diem all over this place, baby. It's a Monday, which means we are setting the tone and we are hitting the ground running again back after a few days off. And it's great to be with you again. By the way, as a reminder for you, our newsletter will be out on... Uh, Monday next week. So if you have not signed up yet, become the next Hoosier Holic. Go to the website at HoosierReason.com, H-O-O-S-E-R Reason.com. Sign up. You'll see the big pop-up and say, do you want to become a Hoosier Holic? You're like, uh, yeah, of course I do. Sign up. We don't spam you. It's free. 
We don't send you a whole bunch of emails, just a once a month email that has our blog on there, has some updates of the radio show, updates with the Hoosier Media Network, some of the other projects we're working on. So many things that we're doing, and we would love to have you join us on there. All right, let's get into our What's Trending of the Day. What's Trending Today? I saw this poll right at the end of last week about the number of people we hit a record across this nation for the number of uh, Americans that distrust the system, the in the system being open air, the political system, the government system, the education system, that near 30 to 35% of Americans right now distrust completely, like completely distrust the system. There's others that are upset with it, others that are upset with the elected officials within the system, but disbelieving and distrusting the system as a whole has now hit a record number. And I would like to agree with the poll to a, to an extent because I get it that we're upset with the system that's functioning right now. Why? Because the system that we're working under right now is not the system that's intended to be working with. Our constitutional republic, our education system, our tax system, our criminal system, they're not being used, which is why we're seeing the anarchy in the systems that we have right now. When California is allowing criminals to walk out of a store with $900 worth of goods without charging them, the political or the criminal system is not working. When you try to end bail because it's unfair for low-income individuals and they just walk right out of jail on the same day they got arrested, the system is not working. When you have tax laws that allow loopholes, that allow things to happen, you don't have a tax system. The system is not working. So I would agree that we distrust it right now because what we're using right now isn't the system that we have in place. And that goes right in line with the education system as well. The Trump administration, or at least the Trump campaign now, says that their Agenda 47 says if they want to come back in and be president in 2024, that they would dismantle the Federal Department of Education, bringing power back down to the statewide levels. What that do to the education system? I'd be fascinated to get your thoughts and to talk about that and so much more with the distrust, not only with the Department of Education as a whole, but also even the local school boards. The distrust in the system in the education process as a whole. What do we do to fix some of this? Really happy to have back on the program. We love this guy on the on the program. He's with the Pacific Research Institute. It's Dr. Lance Azumai. Lance, how are you, my friend? Hey, doing terrific, Andy. So great to be on your show again. Yeah, it's always good to chat with you. I love the conversations we have, especially with education and the lack of trust that we have in the political system, the criminal system, the tax system, the education system. No one trusts anything, and I kind of agree with them because right now the system we're using isn't working and it's not what was intended. That falls right in line with education, isn't it? No, that's absolutely right, uh, Andy. I mean, one of the things that I think you're seeing, and it goes along with this uh, whole issue of trust, is that you know, oftentimes in previous years, you would see polls come out where, let's say, uh, Congress, uh, uh, people ask, uh, or ask about how their views are on Congress. Congress as an institution may have a low uh, rating by people, but a person's own congressman or congresswoman, that, 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 that the people might have a better opinion of their own person as opposed to the institution. But I think what you're seeing now is that people are looking at their own local uh, 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 elected officials and their own local school boards, for example, and seeing and saying that there's a lot of room for improvement there, not just amongst, let's say, school boards uh, in general. Uh, we put out a poll at Pacific Research Institute that uh, it was a national survey that asked people what they thought of their own local school board, not what uh, they thought about uh, school boards in general. And we found that half of our respondents said that their 
school boards were operating at either a mediocre to very poor level, and just uh, over a third of them thought their school boards were doing an excellent or good job. So that really goes to show that people are really having uh, a lot of questions about how the, uh, the, their boards are operating, the performance of those boards. And I think one of the things that uh, you know is really uh, Im- important for people to understand is the reasons why people are distrusting or have problems with their local school boards. And you have la- large majorities uh, who think that their boards are focusing on the wrong goals, they're not listening to the people they should be listening to, and that they're trying to promote, let's say, their own ideological or personal agendas, or that they're allowing the wrong people to influence their decisions. All of which combined go to show that, uh, you know, why people have a uh, relatively low opinion of their school boards. Well, and that makes sense. It is frustrating, though, because I think during COVID and shortly after COVID, it kind of allowed individuals to start focusing more on city councils and school boards at the local level and start turning out. And that's when we saw a pushback from a lot of these institutions. In fact, we literally heard school boards say that you were essentially domestic terrorists and that you're uh, d- uh, that you're threatening me if you just don't go along with whatever I say. And therefore, the parents should have not a whole lot of a voice in their local school board. And I think that caused a lot of this frustration, didn't it? It absolutely did, Andy. And I think that you see that again in the results of our poll. Uh, we asked people, you know, who had too much influence? And you found that we found that uh, if the uh, largest percentages were the federal government had too much uh, influence, the state government had too much influence, and the teachers' union had too much influence, versus only a relatively small percentage who thought that parents had too much influence. And, you know, you, that makes a lot of sense when you, again, going back to what you said, like during the COVID situation, for example, you had all these state mandates that were coming down. Like in California, my own home state here, we had mask mandates and uh, vaccine mandates, all these sorts of mandates in uh, from coming down from Sacramento to local school districts. And parents were very upset about that. And that's why you had this great parent revolt, which I've written about in the past, and uh, why parents were pushing back on that because they felt that parents did not have as much influence as they should, especially because the system is built, supposedly built for them and their children. Yeah, uh, I don't know if I'm sure you followed the story. I saw it a couple weeks ago in California of a school board that was trying to pass an ordinance to where if parents reach out to a school board member, either by phone, in person, or by email more than like two or three times, that could be considered harassment, and the parent could either be thrown in jail for a little bit of time or slapped with a big fine because it was deemed as quote-unquote threatening if they reached out to their school board member. Is that still a thing out there in California? Well, there are all kinds of things out here in California. <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you. I mean, that, that along with a, a bunch of other things. You know, it's, it's uh, uh, really uh, shocking to see how, um, you know, the, the state government, for example, has overstepped its traditional bounds. Because actually, when you look at our Constitution, uh, really, there's no mention of the federal government, let's say, when it comes to education. I mean, the, really, the decision-making in education should be done at the most local of levels by the school boards and by uh, the community members. And when you get um, you know, all these mandates coming from Washington and from state capitals uh, that are really pushing a real ideological agenda, not what the parents and the students want, I think that's when you see that parents are, you know, again, rising up and you know, uh, running people for school boards so that they can have their voices heard and get their opinions uh, you know, turned into policy by, the, by these boards. 
Are we getting better at that? Are we getting better at parents running for school boards or at least showing up to school boards uh, d- during their monthly meetings to talk about the issues and be more involved with the kids? Yeah, I think we uh, really are, uh, Andy. I mean, as I mentioned, uh, I wrote a book called The Great Parent Revolt, uh, where I, one of the things I talk about in that book is how uh, parents are running for school board and that you actually have uh, political groups that have been formed that are supporting parents who are running for their school boards. And what you've seen across the country is that a lot of school boards, you know, not just in red states, but in purple states and in blue states like uh, my state of California, but other uh, blue states as well that have been flipped to pro-parent majorities. And, you know, the parents are... Um, uh, you know, uh, taking advantage of those majorities by enacting policies such as uh, banning critical race theory or uh, implementing parental parental uh, parental notification uh, policies uh, in term when it comes to gender identity issues. So I think that you're seeing this around the country because parents are very worried about what is going on in their schools because they see what they see is that uh, the uh, priority of too many school boards is a political agenda. It's not on uh, the improvement of the kids in terms of academic performance. And I think one of the things that we see in our poll that we uh, just put out is that uh, whether you're a Democrat or Republican, black, white, Hispanic, most people agree that the priority for school boards should be on improving student academic performance, and it should not be on pushing a social justice or equity agenda, which is just really politics and ideology, and that's not going to help the kids. Yeah, what a concept. We actually focus on the education. If I remember correctly, and correct me if I'm wrong, but the last I saw was that the graduation rate reading levels for for kids that are graduating high school was at like an eighth grade reading proficiency. Is that still about accurate? Yeah, that's probably about accurate. I think what you're seeing is that um, uh, a lot of uh, you're not just seeing uh, a regression uh, in terms of the performance of kids in K-12, but you're also seeing uh, the collapse of standards uh, in higher education as well. When you have kids who aren't uh, prepared for college, what do you do? Well, you get rid of tests. And I think that when you see across this country uh, so many uh, universities and colleges getting rid of the ACT, the SAT, uh, in order to get into uh, college, I think what that is is an admission that those kids are not prepared and that the results that are coming out of those tests are going to show that those kids aren't prepared. And so, therefore, what do you do? You either try and improve the system that produced those underperforming kids or you get rid of the test. And the, getting rid of the test is a lot easier. Getting rid of the test. What a mind-boggling concept. It's Dr. Dan, uh, Lance Azumai. We'll continue this when we come back here right around the corner. One more segment here for a Monday on The Voice of Reason. Stay here. This is The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Fighting for freedom every day. The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Oh, how the time flies right on by. Welcome back into the show. Last few minutes of the program for a Monday. Make sure to stay tuned in all week because we have a lot to talk about. We have federal budgets, potential government shutdowns, presidential debates, and even another wild debate between Gavin Newsom and Ron DeSantis. <laughs> That'll be an interesting one for sure as well. Right now we're hanging out with Dr. Lance Zuma. You can find him online, pacificresearch.org. As we talk about education and Lance, I got to ask you about the 
the theory, the push of the Trump campaign saying that if he's president again for his Agenda 47 includes dismantling the Federal Department of Education, bringing back, uh, power back down to the statewide level, to the State Departments of Education, and letting them handle issues. Now, I, I applaud him for trying because I've never seen a federal agency go away, and I don't know that I ever will, but it's optimistic thinking. It is a near $300 billion budget for the Department of Education at a federal level. But if that were to happen, theoretically, what potentially could that do to education nationwide and at the statewide levels? Would that be good or bad? Well, I think it would be good, Andy. I mean, because a lot of what comes out of the uh, U.S. Department of Education is a lot of regulations that people really don't want. I mean, for example, when President Obama uh, was in office, one of their... Uh, key regulations that came out of the U.S. Department of Education uh, was a letter that was sent to local school districts that basically tied their hands when it came to disciplining children uh, who were misbehaving and causing disruption in classes. And uh, they uh, sent this letter up because they were focused on uh, uh, changing racial disparity numbers, not on uh, getting uh, their classrooms to be more safe. And I think that's one of the things that when you put uh, power in the hands of a far-off bureaucracy w away from the concerns of the local parents who are the ones whose children are enduring these unsafe conditions, for example, uh, that that's uh, the, the problem that uh, those uh, 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 points that are being favored by the bureaucrats then outweigh the, those that, are, uh, that parents are pushing. And so, therefore, I think that it's really good that the Trump uh, campaign is pushing for that. I think that one of the things that um, you know you saw when he was president was a proposal which didn't get a lot of uh, coverage at the time, was that he wanted to collapse the U.S. Department of Education into the U.S. Department of Labor and uh, basically uh, eliminate the uh, Department of Education that way. So I think that you know, uh, when you look at the type of damage that the U.S. Department of Education has uh, been involved with over the years since it was created under Jimmy Carter, I mean, certainly uh, would be a lot better for the education of our children to have uh, that, a lot of those decisions made uh, closer to home with parents and their kids. Yeah, I agree. It's whether it's actually feasible to make it happen or not. I would love to see it. But again, I've never seen a federal agency or department go away once it's been created. If we did something like that, would that also knock a few pegs down for the teachers unions as well? They'd have to organize more at a statewide level, which obviously there are and they're very powerful there as well. But that would take away from that federal organization of teachers unions a little bit, wouldn't it? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Because right now, I mean, again, you, you look at the Biden administration and, uh, you know, so much of their education policy is dictated by what the teachers' unions want. Yeah. Um, and so, therefore, you know, if you have an uh, organization like the U.S. Department of Education under the Biden administration that is, seems to be beholden to a special interest group, well, that's certainly not a department whose priority is parents and the learning of their children. So I think that uh, when you look at it that way, the uh, U.S. Department of Education, you know, which uh, you know spends most of its money you know, just sending grants down to um, to uh, schools and to uh, states, that it's really uh, the the federal tail wagging the education dog. Amen to that, Lance. we got about 30 seconds left here as we got to wrap up, but I have to ask you about the micro-schooling. It seems to be growing in popularity. Kansas, I guess, is leading that charge in micro-schooling across the nation, but are you seeing more? Are you hearing more people talk about it and want to go down that road? 
No, absolutely. I think what you're seeing is you're seeing uh, a, a real movement to micro schools, these very small uh, types of schools uh, that parents uh, and, and uh, entrepreneurs are organizing. And I think that's the uh, trend that you're going to see is that uh, the trend to uh, smaller and more individualized learning for kids, not the big, massive public schools that we're see- are, we're, we have seen, which have been, in too many cases, abysmal failure factories for too many children. I agree. I like it. I think we're seeing that uh, reset, that quote-unquote great reset in numerous different industries, education being one of them, also with resources, with food, with farmers markets, with a lot of bringing it back down to the local level and letting the local community handle issues that are needed in that area as well. It's Dr. Lance Azumai. Check him out online, pacificresearch.org. You can also check out all of his great books as well. Lance, we have any, uh, love having you on the program. we got to do it again real soon, my friend. I look forward to that, Andy. Can't wait. Always a pleasure. Dr. Lance Azumai right there. Great stuff. Great conversation. We'll have him back on again before you know it. Until then, podcast up in just a little bit. We're back at it again on Tuesday. Until then, be your own voice of reason. This is The Voice of Reason. I'm Andy Hoosier. We'll see you on the radio.